Persona of Yaakov Avinu is leaving a geographical historical place called Be'er Sheva and he's going towards a place called Choron. You know, but of course, the principle of Mada Hava Hava, which is the Yisod Hagadol of really all the Torah of the Baal Shem Tov and Torah Sachasidus, Mada Hava Hava, what happened happened already. Torah is not simply telling us that Yaakov Avinu, the historical figure of Yaakov Avinu, left the geographical location of Be'er Sheva and Haran Hashem, did not have to reveal himself on Har Sinai to tell us where our great-grandfather traveled. Or Chaim HaKadosh, based on the Zohar, reveals to us that the story of Yaakov leaving Be'er Sheva and going to Harana is the story of every Jew. Every person, when they come into the world, leaves a place that's called Be'er Sheva. Gemara tells us, the whole Sefer Tanya, 
or the Ma'ad will be in Teskislev. The whole Yesod of the Sefer Tanya is built upon this Gemara that when a person comes into the world shortly before the Neshama descends into the Guf, the Gemara tells us that every person takes an oath. Each person takes an oath that they're going to remain a tzaddik even though they're going to be in a world that's going to be pulling them in a million different directions. The place of that oath, the place of that shvuah, is called Be'er Sheva, Sheva Milashem Shvuah. And the Neshama goes from the place of Be'er Sheva and goes on a distant journey to Charana. Charana is a Lashon of Archaim HaKadosh. It's a Lashon of Charon Af. A place of seeming divine anger. One of the most famous tales of Rabbi Nachman, tale of the lost princess. The story of a king who had six sons and a, son, and a daughter, a seventh child, a daughter, the Bathsheba. And how one day the king got angry at his daughter and said, May the no good one take you. The next morning when they went to her bedroom to go find her, she was nowhere to be found. The whole story of the king's best friend who went to go find this Bathsheba, this daughter of seven who was sent to the place of anger. A tale that nobody possibly can understand why the king would do such a thing, especially if we're talking about a king who has complete control over his emotions. What does that mean for Hashem to get angry, for the king to get angry and to say, may the no good one take you? What's clear from the story of Rabbi Nachman is that the king is a best friend. There's a Mishnah Melech, there's a best friend of the king. And the best friend of the king is the one who says, I am willing, give me a little bit of money and a horse and maybe a friend. <coughs> and I will turn over the whole world to find the lost princess. <coughs> Kachavi goes out searching in the deserts, in the forest, till one day he comes across a small path. He sees a path on the side of the road that he never saw before, and he says, if there's a path that's being revealed to me, I've, I've walked this path so many times, and I never saw this path off to the side before, maybe, maybe there's something to, to look at there. So he literally just steps onto the path and Kedarko Bakodesh and Rabbi Nachman's stories, you know, things become very fantastical very quickly. He sees this path, he steps one step onto the path, the next thing you know, poof, before his eyes, he's standing in front of a palace, and the palace is filled with guards that are guarding to make sure that nobody can come in. But he's so bewildered by the fact that this miraculous occurrence, just he stepped onto the path, and all of a sudden he's standing in front of this, glory, this palace out of nowhere. So he tries his luck and he just walks straight through the front gate. None of the guards stop him. Walks into the palace, nobody's stopping him, no one's asking for credentials, for papers. He walks right in, he wanders around the palace until he finds a ballroom, he opens up this ballroom, there's people eating and drinking in there, music's playing. Nobody's paying any attention to him, he's just able to walk freely wherever he wants to go. And all of a sudden, <coughs> all of a sudden, the band strikes up a majestic niggin and out walks the princess. He recognizes her immediately. And he realizes this is the palace of the no good one. In a moment of, uh, of calm, 
in the pageantry of what's going on there, he, he summons, the princess comes over, and they meet over in the corner, and he says, how do I get you out of here? And she says, you have to sit and wait for a whole year, and yearn to get me out. At the end of the year, on the last day, don't eat or drink anything <coughs> to take me out. So he waits for all year on the last day. He eats something, he falls asleep. Wakes up a few days later, he's so embarrassed, he goes back to the palace, you know, to the window. And the princess sticks her head out the window. You know, I, bl- I blew it. She says, don't worry, you have another chance to do it. Wait another year. And I see it's too hard for you not to eat anything this time. Just don't drink any wine on the last day. Come on, a year passes. Last day, he sees this bizarre appearance of a river. Looks like wine, smells like wine, but it's, it's a river. He bends down to smell it. He says, it's unbelievable. It smells exactly like wine. <coughs> Takes a sip, falls asleep for a very long time. And the princess has moved from one palace to another palace. And the fellow wakes up and ends up going on a journey, finding three different giants that are trying to lead him. It's a wild story. This whole story of the lost princess. Seventh child of the king, this Be'er Sheva, this leaving Be'er Sheva, and being sent to the place of Kharam. Yaakov Avinu, which means every single one of us, each one of our neshamas, which were sent down into the particular body that we were sent down to with, whatever pekala we have, whoever our parents are, and whatever our IQ is, and whatever our physical disabilities might be, or abilities might be, whatever aches and pains, emotional, economic, physical, that we may be feeling spiritual. Each person with their charan, each person with their with their place of Kharana. Each person with their place of Kharana, there's a Yaakov Avinu. And the Yaakov Avinu is the one who goes to search and refuses to stop the search until he finds what he's looking for. Yaakov Avinu is an interesting, uh, it's an interesting story. You know that Avram Avinu is the side of Yamin, he's the side of Chesed. Yitzchak is the side of Gura, and Yaakov is in the middle. Sadiqim explained that really Yaakov and Esau, just like Avram and Yitzchak are two, so the Emtza is also supposed to be two. Yaakov's job is not to have to do it alone. This past Rosh Hashanah I was uh, having a meal with uh, a fellow who told me that he sometimes listens to Derelik Chaims. I was in a base medrash in the middle of Yerushalayim spending Rosh Hashanah evening with Rav Yitzchak Meir Morgenstern. And uh, after the davening was over, like close to 1 a.m. for the Marv of Rosh Hashanah, so we went down to have the food and I was sitting across from a, a young man. His name escapes me at the moment. You'll have to forgive me, I'm sorry. And I said, tell me a chiddush, tell me something, tell me a chiddush of yours. He said, why is it that on Motzei Shabbos we say, this piyot, maybe you're familiar with it, of Altira Avdi Yaakov. Amr Hashem Yaakov, Altira Avdi Yaakov. And it goes through the Aleph base. Amr Hashem Yaakov, Altira Avdi Yaakov, and the letter base and the letter Gimel. So I said, I don't know why. So he said, well, who do, you, who do you tell not to be afraid? 
you tell someone not to be afraid if they're terrified. You tell your child, if your child comes to you in the middle of the night and says, oh, I had a terrible, I had a bad dream. He says, oh, don't, be, don't be afraid, don't be scared. You don't tell somebody who's like in an ice cream shop not to be afraid. Of course they're not afraid. You don't have to tell them not to be afraid. Atira Avdi Yaakov means that Yaakov Avinu is the one who has to balance these two worlds in a way that he wasn't expecting. So I think you explained that originally Esau and Yaakov were supposed to tag team. Supposed to be four legs of a, they're part of the Kisei Akava. They're, the, they're, the, they're those who are no say the Merkava. They are the carriers of the divine chariot. And the Gemara says that there are three Avos and not four. Which is the Gemara in Brachos. There are three Avos and not four. What that means is that there, maybe there should have been four. At the end of the day, we have a fourth leg of the chariot in David HaMelech. David HaMelech was also Admoni, he was also red-haired, like Esav. And he picks up, he also, he's like Esav in many ways, except he's Yafei Naim, he has beautiful eyes. Yaakov Avinu originally was supposed to share together with Esav this Indian of the Chesed and the, and the Gvura of Avram and Yitzchak in a way that would have been a much more healthy, <laughs> balanced way for Yaakov Avinu to live. Isn't it amazing that Yaakov Avinu's whole life is Yoshev Olam? The moment he gets the, look at the story of Yaakov Avinu. The beginning of his life is all Yoshev Olam. He's already, he's, he's not a young man by the time you know, he gets the brachos. He's Yoshev Olam, he's living a life of Torah, and sitting in, inside an air-conditioned tent, able to study Torah as he desires, and all of a sudden he gets the bracha. That, that, right? And it wasn't even his idea to get the bracha. Rivka sends him to get the bracha. The second he gets the bracha, his life turns upside down. The moment he gets the bracha, his life turns upside down. He's sent out by Elich Haran, he's got to go to Haran. No good one takes him. And he goes to Haran, and his loving's making his life miserable, first with Rachel and Leia, and then with his wages, and then, and then, you know, and then his wife dies in childbirth, and then Dina, and then his life turns totally upside down from the moment he gets the bracha. And Tzadikim revealed to us that the reason for that is that Yaakov Avinu was supposed to live this life of, you know, living in the tent. And studying Torah takes upon himself the other half of that of that experience. Esav <coughs> was a man of the field, was a man of the chutz, of the outside. Esav was the one who was supposed to be able to take upon himself some of these more difficult challenges and to be able to find Hashem Dafka in that place. Yaakov says, okay, I'll take it. Esav does one and I'll take it. And so Yaakov is the one that we say, Alti Ra'avdi Yaakov. Don't be afraid, Yaakov. You know why? Because Yaakov never quite knows because he's living with both his responsibility and Esau's responsibility. Yaakov Avinu never quite knows whether he's supposed to be operating within this sphere or that sphere. Meaning he knows because he has his intuition and he's trusting his intuition. <coughs> I think this is the third time I'm saying this uh, this week. Maybe it's because I was outside of Eretz Yisrael. Rav Cook writes in the Sefer Oros that a person can't trust their intuition as much when they're outside of Eretz Yisrael as they can when they're inside of Eretz Yisrael. <coughs> Forget Ruch HaKodesh, Nevuah, inside Eretz Yisrael, outside Eretz Yisrael. Just your simple intuition. Allowing yourself to follow your, your imagination and your intuition and the way that your mind naturally wanders from place to place. It's much safer. There's a... In the introduction to the Sefer Pa'asa Shulchan. So... 
one of the students of the Vilna Goan tells a Maisa there about how Rav Chaim Velozhner was told to go tell Rav Itzel Velozhner, his brother, that in a few days there's going to be a Malach that's going to come to you and he's going to want to teach you Torah. It's called a Magid. A Magid's going to come to you and want to teach you Torah. And you should not accept it. You should tell, tell it to go away. So, so Chaim Velozhner said, well, I should tell it to go away, you know. Shouldn't I, shouldn't I be Makabalit? You know, the Beis Yosef or Yosef Cairo had a Magid that taught him Torah. We have a Sefer called Magid Meisharim. The teachings of uh, the Magid of Yosef Cairo. Shouldn't I be Makabalit Ba'ava? So he said, first of all, that was a few hundred years ago. Second of all, that was in Eretz Yisrael. You're not in Eretz Yisrael. Because when a Jews in Eretz Yisrael, their intuition is much more, much more intact. Yaakov Avinu, not only does he have these two different things, should I be operating within the sphere of Avram's Chesed or the sphere of Yitzchak's Vura? Which one should I be operating with right now? <coughs> it's always a toss-up. Avram knew which button to press every single time. <coughs> every time. There was the same button that he was pressing. Yitzchak, the same button he was pressing. Yaakov has two buttons right in front of him. And he's never sure. He has, and he's got the red pill and the blue pill. He's never sure which one to take. Every second he has to decide which one am I supposed to take. And after he takes it, oh, maybe I should have taken the other one. Shema Yigrom HaChet, we find Dafka by Yaakov Avinu. Maybe, my, maybe the Chet, maybe... What's chet? Chet means missing the, the target. It means misfiring. Yaakov, you know, is the one we find the Gemara tells us, Shema Yigrom HaChet. Because every single time that Yaakov, his whole life is trying to figure out, should I act with Chesed now or should I act with Gvur right now? And Dafka, now he has to do that outside of Eretz Yisrael. Now he's Vayelech Harana. Vayetze Yaakov mi Be'er Sheva Vayelech Harana. And so, just like every Jew, before they leave, the Gemara says, we take an oath, we take a Shavua, that we're going to be a Tzaddik. So we find that Yaakov Avinu is the one who introduces this concept of Nodrin Be'ez Tzara, of taking a Shavua. Yaakov Avinu takes an oath that Hashem, if you'll provide me with the things that I need, so then you'll be my God. Then you'll be my God. Yaakov Avinu, as he's leaving Eretz Yisrael, he's preparing to leave Eretz Yisrael, and he lies down in the place of the Makom HaMikdash. Achein yesh Hashem b'makom hazeh, v'anochi lo yadati. Hashem is in this place, and I didn't even realize it. Before he leaves Eretz Yisrael, one last time, as he's about to leave, he sees the Sulam Mutzav Arts of Rosh HaMegiya and he recognizes that the same Sulam, as the Baal Turim points out, the same Sulam, Sulam, which the way that it's spelled in the Torah, it's spelled Chaser without a Vav, the same Sulam, the Baal, Baal Turim, was one of the Rishonim who was very fond of uh, numerical values and their equivalents of Gematria. The, the Baal Turim writes that Sulam is the Gematria Sinai. Samach Lamed Mem. Is the Gematria Sinai. That Sulam is also, the Baal Turim says, is the Gematria Mamun and Oni, poverty and wealth. Yaakov, you know, understands as he's leaving the place of Eretz Yisrael, there's two possible ways that he's going to. He has this dream of the Malachim holding the Yordan bow. He has the Sulam. He's by the place of the Makom Mikdash. But remarkably, Yaakov, you know, has another dream in this parsha. He has the dream of sheep and all different types of different types of sheep. And he wakes up from the dream, and you know what happens when he wakes up from the dream? He 
So it's time to go back to Eretz Yisrael. Because he sees that his Chalomos, when he was in Eretz Yisrael, what was he dreaming about? He's dreaming about Malachim, he's dreaming about ladders, he's dreaming about Sinai. But that ladder, which can raise you up to the highest heights, he realizes that spending too much time outside of Eretz Yisrael, a person's mind starts to be confused in a way where his dreams become wrapped up. He's dreaming about sheep. The same Yaakov Avinu is dreaming about Malachim, is dreaming about sheep. How could it be? That person's dreams. What's a person's dreams? Dreams are aspiration. And even though the Tzadikim explained to us that the dreams of Yaakov, the sheep of Yaakov Avinu, these are a very deep thing. This is the sheep of Yaakov Avinu is a very deep thing. But the fact that it's being couched within the realm of sheep, Yaakov Avinu says, I've been hanging out in Charan for too long. Princess is starting to forget where she comes from and who she is. And so immediately upon waking up, he goes and he gathers Rachel and Lain. He says, time to, time to go home. Because when a person realizes, you know, there's a Maisa with Lubavitch Rebbe, seventh Rebbe, of course, it was just the Shluchim convention, I think, a week ago, when I was in America, it was the Shluchim convention. And uh, the Maisa with Lubavitch Rebbe, he sent a Shliach. <coughs> To some far flung, I mean, there were shluchim all over the place. You know, shluchim everywhere. What's the joke they say? What's what's the difference between Coca Cola and Chabad? Coca Cola is all over the world, just like Chabad is all over the world. But Coca Cola has a secret recipe that they don't want anyone to know, and Chabad is a secret recipe they want everyone to know. <laughs> so the Rebbe is sending shluchim all over the world. He sent some shliach to, you know, like there were Rebbetzins of the shluchim who like, had to, like, tovel and ice, they had to, like, break, a, break the ice with an axe pick to go to the mikvah, to be Moser Nefesh, to bring Torah to some Jew in a far-flung place. So there was, a, there was a Yid who was sent, I forget where he was sent to, he was sent by the Rebbe, shluchus, to a place where there wasn't, let's say there wasn't, like, a, a Torah academy over there. You know, to put it mildly, it wasn't like a yeshiva day school for his kids to go to. So this guy is sending letters to the Rebbe. Rebbe, what am I going to do? How am I going to educate my children? I'm in the middle of nowhere. And this is before the internet. It wasn't like Chabad.org. You know, they didn't have Chabad.org or whatever uh, Torah anytime. There was no uh, Warnberger Shurim on, uh, you know, on Yu Torah. Hey, what, what, was, what was he going to do? So he said, how am I going to educate my children? What am I going to do? The Rebbe said, it's going to be okay, you know, keep, keep writing, stay connected, you know, I'll send you, I'll send you ma'amarim to, to learn with your kids, and you teach them, and I, I, I believe in you, I trust in your, your ability, in your Rebbe's ability to educate the children from far away, and get them involved in bringing Yiddishkeit to other Yidin. <coughs> a few months go by, and finally this, uh, this shliach sends a letter back to the Rebbe, and he says to him, Rebbe, you're, you're right. Everything's okay over here. You know, the kids are adjusting well and we're teaching them and, and they're learning nicely and, and we feel like we're accomplishing here and everything's starting to, to make sense and everything's good. So he gets a letter back from the Rebbe, time to come back. You gotta come. Gotta come. Gotta come back home. Because when you were writing me that you were nervous and that your dreams were how am I going to educate the kids and how am I going to do everything that is and so I wasn't so nervous. But now that you think that everything's okay, we'll, we'll send somebody else there. We'll, we'll, we'll flip you out, you know. We'll swap you out for, for a different shliach and, you know, you come, back to, come back to the base for a little bit and then maybe we'll send you somewhere else. We'll see. But when Yaakov, you know, realizes that he's getting a little too comfortable, 
And his intuition is starting to slip about what should I be dreaming about? What am I dreaming about all the time? A person's dreams are a very deep thing. So when he realizes he spent too much time in Haran, he says, it's time to go back to Be'er Shema. To go back to Be'er Shema. That's on a level of every single Jew. It, it's also true on the level of, of every week. A person leaves Be'er Sheva. Be'er Sheva, the tzaddikim explain, is also B'chin of Shabbos. Be'er Sheva. A person leaves Shabbos and is waiting and is waiting and is waiting. When am I going to get back to Shabbos? Every time a person leaves Shabbos, it's a feeling of Ayelech Harana. Sent out, and that's what Dafka we sing. When do we sing this Nigan about Yerav Diakwa and Motzei Shabbos? When we leave Be'er Sheva, we leave Shabbos, we're waiting all the time for Shabbos to come again. So Baruch Hashem, it's Thursday already. I just came back from Kharan uh, yesterday. I returned to Be'er Sheva, I returned to Yisrael. There's a lot of beautiful Jews. There are a lot of beautiful Jews who I got to see over there in Kharan. And a lot of them are pining to be here, and we're very fortunate to be here. We're very fortunate to be able to do this here with send the lifeboat of intuition and inspiration from the holy city of Yerushalayim. And we should all have kavana that when we're singing these nagun and we're davening together, we're learning this Torah, it should be to have in mind that there are a lot of Jews who are looking for the sula of arts of Rosh Hashanah Shemayim, are looking for the latter, to be able to be makabal the Torah again, Sinai, the sulam, to be able to be makabal the Torah in this way. These are the Malachi Asharis of Shabbos that we're welcoming in. <coughs> Yaakov in his Malachim, they're all in the Yordan. The beginning of the Parsha, at the end of the Parsha, when Yaakov comes back and the Malachim come to greet him again, this is the Indian of Shabbos Kodesh. We zoch to the Yom Shekula Shabbos from here, Amen. Amen.
came to Eretz Yisrael in Svat, he's buried in that, uh, in that section of the cemetery which has a lot of heavy hitters. Basayim came to Eretz Yisrael because he heard that Eretz Yisrael is a land that has stones that are as beautiful as diamonds. And that's not the reason he came to Eretz Yisrael, but he heard this. He heard that Eretz Yisrael has stones that are as beautiful as diamonds. There was a certain shliach who came from Eretz Yisrael to the town of Avrich, where he was. And he was talking, he said, Has Eretz Yisrael, it's beautiful. Not only Beruchnias, but Begashmias. You know, the stones are beautiful and as big as these big diamonds. So when he moved to Eretz Yisrael, when he came to Eretz Yisrael, he, of course, was enamored by the Avir there, it's Yisrael Machkim, but uh, he always had a tie on this shliach. The stones didn't look exactly the way that he had said that they were. One day, he bumped into the shliach. And he said to the shliach, you know, you told me that the, the stones of Eretz Yisrael are beautiful as diamonds. And they just look like regular, you know, <coughs> they just look like regular stones. So the Shliach looked at the Basayan and he said to him, well, just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not true. The Basayan took it right to the heart. And he locked himself away in a room and davened and from time to time would come out to see if, it, if his eyesight changed. And he didn't come out until he was able to see how the stones of Eretz were as beautiful as diamonds. Basayan his Sefer on Chumash is beautiful for a number of reasons. It's beautiful because I don't think there's a single Parsha that doesn't have some Torah. If you're trying to, if you're trying to work on the Indian of Gaiva, and who isn't? I just, uh, I just read this week somewhere that both the Arizal and the Baal Shem Tov, on their deathbed, the last words that they said before Shema Yisrael were the words, Al Tivyeni Regal Gaiva, just Pastor Rabbi Al Tivyeni Regal Gaiva. And even on a person's deathbed, Gaiva is coming to Yeshus, sense of <coughs> entitlement and self in a way which is not healthy. So it's a sense of self which is healthy and a sense of self which is not. If a person wants to work on the Indian of Gaiva, the Basayan is a very good sacred to, to learn. I assume the Chasidus uh, Svarim sale is coming soon. You can buy it for 25 shekel, 50 shekel, whatever it is two sets, you know, two volumes or one volume. <coughs> Every, there's not a single Parsha where he doesn't have some Torah about the Indian of Anava and Gaiva. The first piece in the whole Basayan is about He says when a person reaches Shemayim, they have to remember also Aretz. When a person reaches a very high level, they have to remember they're just Afar Ve'efer, they're just the first thing Hashem created, the first thing, if you want to get to Hashem, is Shamaim. Is when you're in, when you're by Shamaim, you have to remember arts also. That's the first piece in Basayim. And every every Torah, every every parsha has some Torah about the Indian of Anava. That's one thing I love about the Basayim. The other thing is, that it's a very early sefer that it always ends with a tefillah. Every piece ends with a tefillah. 
The tefillah could be like one sentence. It could be like, you know, Yiratzon shenizgel kol zalmein. You know, like at the end of the piece, Yiratzon shenizgel kol zalmein. You should be zochet to this. Amen. That could be the tefillah. It could be a more elaborate tefillah. But he's a Jew who was connecting the world of Torah and tefillah together, which is something which is very beloved to me. See, as a Torah in this week's parsha, it's not about a nava. He explains the Indian of Yaakov Avinu loving Rachel and Leah feeling like she was hated. He explains that the Indian of Rachel and Leah are these two worlds that Yaakov Avinu, remember, Leah is supposed to marry Esau, but now, as we just said in the previous <coughs> teaching, Yaakov is carrying both Inyonim. He has the responsibility of marrying both Rachel and Leah. He's carrying the dual responsibility of both himself and Esau's Avodah. Yaakov loves Rachel because that's who is really, that's from the beginning who he was supposed to marry. She's the Bechina of the Yosheva Olim, Yaakov Avinu. And Leah is the world of, of Esau's Avodah, which is supposed to be the role of Sorme Ra, staying away from bed. Yaakov is supposed to be Asitov. So he explains that we know that the realm of Rachel and Leah, I'm not going to go into this fully now, but I'll just give you a taste. The world of Rachel and Leah is not just two wives of Yaakov Vinu, but is two different ways in Avodah Hashem. Rachel Imenu represents the world that's called the Alma de Isgalia, the revealed world. The Alma de Isgalia. Alma from Ha'olam, Itgalia from Lashon of Giloi, the revealed world. Whereas Leah is the Alma de Iskasia, and the word Kisoi, the Alma de Iskasia, the hidden world. And this is manifest in a myriad of different ways. Basayan says that the Lashon of Leah, even though the, her name, Leah, comes from the Lashon of Lo, of Nat, negation. Leah is buried in Mars Machpelah, hidden away. Rachel is buried on the side of the road, out in the open. Rachel's marriage happens in a way that's gully, and Leah's is hidden over. Rachel is the Avodah of Asetov. It's the Alma de Isgalia. It's the revealed world. Yaakov Avinu loves the Almadis Galia. All of us love the Almadis Galia. We love the Almadis Galia. To sit with a bunch of friends, candles, Nagunim, Torah, that feels good. Give a, a, a pruta tetzaka, feels good. To do something that's revealed, that people can see what's happening, is the Almadis Galia. It's the avoda that I do in public. That's easy to love. But the avoda that I do in private that no one else gets to see, the alma de iskasya, which first and foremost means the losases. Nobody ever, you know, won a prize or got very famous for not doing the losases. And no one ever prides themselves on like, uh, right, the best guy in the yeshiva is the guy who knows how to learn well and who davens nicely and who speaks, you know, with kavod to other people and who... Maybe he's generous with his things and with his time. It's, there's no fame in you know, being the guy who's stopping himself from doing something which is anyway everybody thinks, oh, come on, you shouldn't be, shouldn't be thinking about those things, you shouldn't be doing those things. There's no fame in, in the world of Leah. 
And yet, Bas Ayin says that we see that Am Yisrael is built from Leila, first and foremost. Yaakov Avinu was called, it says that Leah feels like she's hated because she's ignored, because there's no fame in the Indian of Losase, of Sormera. Hashem's telling us, He's <coughs> teaching us, the Basayan says that a person's Avodas Hashem bears fruit, the pure rule of a person's Avodas Hashem, the real fruit, the long lasting fruit of a person's Avodas Hashem happens when nobody else could see. Dafko, no one else can see. And this is such a Hashem Nakuda, we speak about this all the time. Hashem should help us to stop speaking about it so much and to do it more. That when a person is davening and they're in the middle of they're in the middle of a crowded room, so there's a certain way that they daven. Versus when they're by themselves, when they find themselves in some experience where they can't daven with a minion and they're not surrounded and they don't have all eyes on them, especially if they're Shanabet, especially if they're a Rebbe. People are looking at, at them. So there's a way that you daven when you're, when you're in the middle of a room and there's a way that you daven when you're by yourself. When you're, when you're in Rachel mode, when people are looking at you and Rachel, everybody loves Rachel. It's good to, you know, a little extra Kavana and, and real, and real Kavana. Kavana. I'm not saying like just stop faking it. Your kavana is more there. We have, we have such a thing. I, I share this all the time. Beginning of the first, one of the first things I teach every year to the Shana Aleph guys who are in my morning seder, which is only uh, some of you here, is that Alicia is sometimes in the, in the Navi, is sometimes just called Stam Alicia, and sometimes it's called Alicia Isha Lukim, Isha Alicia Navi. He's given all these like titles. And the Zohar Kodesh says that he's called Alicia Isha Lukim when he's surrounded by his Talmudim, when he's surrounded by his friends who believe in him. Because when you're surrounded by people who believe in you, then it's easier to become Isha Kim. It's easier to become divine. It's easier to become. So it's a real thing when you're when you're in when you're in a group with other people and, and you're in the Alma Disgalia and the world is revealed and so then it's easier to serve Hashem. But in the time when a person is not Alma Disgalia, when a person is in Leah, Alma Iskasya, that's the time when they can be they could be birthing Am Yisrael. Be birthing Am Yisrael. And so a person finds himself with an opportunity to daven b'yichidos, or to, when it's nighttime, or you're on the road, and you know, there's not so many people around, and you have to decide whether to open up Mishnayis, or to relax by, you know, listening to some music, or something like that. And you have the opportunity to really choose, like, where, where do I want, when no one's looking, where do I want to, where do I want to be mashkia and put my kohos and efforts in? That's the, that's the world of Leah. The world of Leah that feels hated, that feels underappreciated, which is underappreciated. Yiratzon Shenizka the Kolzelmi. I want to play a nigger for my brother Josh. You're gonna have to learn it. It's pretty easy to learn. It's a good one. Little part goes like this. Did it a la 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 la
it's all the
we have time for a two-minute teaching? Do we have time for a two-minute <coughs> teaching? It's so good. It's first partial where we find the Jew saying thank you to Hashem. Chazal said it. Leah's the first one to say Toda Hashem. She calls Yehuda Yehuda from Lashna Hoda that she realizes she has more than she deserves. So it's a good opportunity, hey Mike. It's a good opportunity to uh, to give a karsatov. Feeling very grateful. <coughs> Feeling very grateful for this opportunity to sit with all of you here and for all the people who are joining us from afar, from close from afar, and those who listen after. Tara says that when Yaakov Avinu you know, goes to lie down, and he goes to lie down, so Yaakov takes from the stones of the place, and he puts them under his head. It's a funny, uh, funny pillow to choose. And that's what he does. He takes a bunch of stones and he puts them under his head or maybe around his head. He's protecting himself, building a little fence around himself. But in the morning, in the morning, it says that he takes the stone. At first they were called stones and now they're called stone. And Rashi points out that all the stones are arguing that they want to uh, be the stone that, that the, the tzaddik that Yaakov Inu placed his head on. So therefore Hashem made an ace and he made all the stones come together. Rashi's explanation. My explanation right now, sitting in this room, surrounded by friends who help me to be able to do this every week, is that when a person is when a person is able to lie down, what does it mean to lie down? To lie down means to not to put yourself in a vulnerable position. Person lies down, that means to say they put down all of their books after a week of study, or in this case of travel. A person puts down all of their books and all of their preparation and pen and paper that they normally deliver a shear with. And then you take stones. Sefi Yitzir says that the letters of the Aleph are called. The letters of the Aleph are called stones. Evan Achas, Evan Shteavonim. A person begins to grab letters of the Aleph from the people who are around him. Especially in a week like this, where I didn't have a week of study in a regular way, I was running around all over the United States. So, so where does a person draw Torah from? <coughs> so, he takes from the stones of the place. It means that whatever is happening here is because the people who are, who are here gathering stone from you and a 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 stone from you and you get the idea. Put them together to be able to say something. What happens is that when Jews come together in this way, a person dreams of a Sulam Mutzav Artsa, Hashem presents for us a ladder that we can use to climb to Shemayim every week in this setting. It helps us to wake up, we wake up. And the Pasuk says, He takes the Evan. 
takes the <coughs> he takes the stone. Right here, right now, for me, that Evan is a reference to what says in the Navi that Hashem is going to take the heart of stone, the leva Evan, and turn it into a heart of flesh, turn it into a leva basar. That when a person, when a Yaakov, when a Jew, lies down and gives up all the Marmakomos sheets and all of the pens and everything and takes stones from, from a friend, so then it gives you a special ability in a way that I don't normally feel in any other time of the week to be able to take the heart of stone and to turn it into a heart of flesh. Yaakov takes the heart of stone and what does he do? He builds from his Be'ach Tashem, he builds an altar for Hashem. He turns it into a place of tefillah and a place of avodah. The Reikachas Eben is the avodah shebelev. It's the, it's the avodah of the heart. How can a person do avodah shebelev? How can a person daven? How can a person get close to Hashem? Through a way of opening up their heart? It's only when they surround themselves with other people. That's the zchus. When a person is trying to say their own Torah, when a person is using the regular channels of Torah and it's coming from you, so then the va'ani gets in the way of the tefillah. The ani and anochis gets in the way of the tefillah. When a person recognizes that all of their Torah is b'schus am Yisrael, that a person has the ability to say anything in Torah is only b'schus tzibor and only b'schus am Yisrael. So then they can get out of the way a little bit. And then they can take their heart of stone and they can trade it in for a heart of flesh. So it's an opportunity to hapamudas Hashem. This time, I thank Hashem for giving us the opportunity to sit together, both virtually and in person, to be able to gather our collective stones and to build the Sulam Mutzavarts of Roshon Megiyah Shemayma. Hashem should give us great strength to be able to do this for many, many years to come.
Chávez. Chávez, Chávez.